0: Foundation Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Joining me in the studio today is Lee Chen Ren, the Director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Please note I'm a registered representative of Foreside Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree, and our discussion is not tied to the offer sale and investment products and the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Tree or its affiliates. Professor, wow, what a what a <laughs> week. A lot going on from the Fed to more tariffs to an employment report. A lot a lot to talk about.
1: Oh, golly. Wow, one of the biggest weeks we've had. Yeah, so let's let's start at uh, the beginning of the big news which of course uh, was the uh, the Fed meeting and we pretty well had pegged that. I, I said there was going to be one cut and I was I actually said that the market would apt to be disappointed uh, not that there was one cut but that there wasn't future guidance that there might be another and uh, I pretty well knew that was going to happen you know it was clear from the dot plot in the June meetings, but this is the most split FOMC that we have had in years. Half the people think that there's no reason to lower it at all and that the economic data is coming in, you know, relatively strong. And the other half says, uh, yeah, we're inverted the the yield curve and we've missed on inflation and we need to go down 50 basis points. So they compromise at 25, but they're not going to all cave in to the uh, 50 basis point uh, reducers. So... Uh, Clearly, they said, we're going to wait until we see what kind of activity actually uh, turns out. I was actually surprised the market didn't crash right on the report. It almost took Powell enunciating it clearly that there was no commitment to necessarily lower rates in September for the market to really uh, dive. Um, And then, of course, on then on the next day, uh, Trump puts on. Uh, the, uh, the, well, not the threat, the plan 10% increase in all the other, uh, tariff on all other goods, uh, effective September 1st, which is uh, you know, now less than a month away. Um, uh, clearly not happy with the pace of negotiations. Um, and still thinking that it, uh, it is the Chinese and not the Americans that are going to pay for this. Um, and, um... Uh, the market is not happy with that. We've we've talked about that now for uh, you know all during Trump's presidency that this is one part of Trump's program. We like the fact the pressure on you know to negotiate something on the intellectual assets and trademarks. Yes, that's all that good. But the the straight trade or potential trade war and putting those tariffs is bad for the economy, bad for the markets, um, and um, and it, it it's it's playing through here. Uh, we, you know, could he pull back? He, they, he let a few hints out that if there's enough progress made and we begin to see uh, some uh, uh, tangible results uh, pointed to the uh, purchase of farm goods and drug uh, sales, et cetera, that he might delay it again. But, um, you know, clearly the market's worried, and the market is worried this is a step towards a 25% increase on everything, which would really tank this market. Um, so that's the word. And then today, one, two, three, punch, we get an employment report. Not terrible, but not great either. Um, uh, the, the overall was pretty much on target, although the private employment was uh, on the weak side, and we did have a downward revision of over 40,000 in the previous two months, and perhaps most disturbing. Uh, a big drop in hours worked. Um, the, the, the hours worked are always rounded to a tenth. So often you, you get these kind of lumpy moves. And a, a tenth reduction in hours worked, which we saw today, is actually equivalent to over $300,000 $300, lost payroll jobs. But it, it goes down much smoother. So you can't really interpret it specifically that way. But we are trending lower on on, on the hours. That's means that the underlying GDP is weaker. And on top of that, all right, so we reported 2.1% GDP. Further data that we've gotten on second quarter, the one we saw, has now brought the estimate down to 1.9. The people I follow who have been really good at predicting these GDP numbers hit it virtually on the button for the last one, uh, say that this quarter, now this is an early track, we just started August, is 1.7. So not only have we fallen to two, we've fallen below two, and this is before any potential impact of the tariffs. Uh, This is not taking into account what these tariffs might uh, do in terms of business sentiment and might take off of uh, GDP. So we're into a lower phase. Clearly, we see the markets worry about that. The one kind of silver lining, again, in this report, was we did a, get a, a tick upward in the participation rate, something we've talked about, which is positive, and as a result, the unemployment rate, which many thought would go down to three point six percent, stayed at three seven. Which and so sort of, it's indicating that we're really not at an extraordinarily tight part of the labor market. We still have play there, or we though we should say that. The U6 unemployment, which some people even say is more important than the official unemployment rate, uh, fell to a new cyclical low of 7.0, um, only two tenths above its all time low, um, which was reached, I believe, in the 1990s. So that, as an indication of labor tightness, does show that there's not a lot of surplus workers there. But, um, uh, the, the main problem, I thought, was that the hours worked, the downward revisions of the previous month. Um, we, we've, we are in a slower mode, and there is a danger that these tariffs are going to impair uh, business sentiment even more.
0: Yeah, and so we've seen some dramatic moves in the bond market. The 10-year is now right. 186, which uh, is uh, from under two. Yeah. Um, how, how do you think about where you know we've been at such... You know, you're know you not that far from all-time highs in the equity markets and these collapsing bond markets. Where do you... How do you stack up the rest of the year?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I think it really depends on how, how far the trade war goes. Um, I mean, if we could... I mean, my feeling is that we could get another from the previous high. We're down about 3% now in the last couple of days from the high to an to three. This is not much. Not, don't forget a pullback, which is the mildest type of reaction possible is only 5%. We're not even halfway there. So, you know, um, uh, although we certainly could could get there. But from the high, I said we we had a potential of another 5% in this market the next six months, and I would say if we don't have that 10% put on with a threat of 25, that we will probably get there, um, but, um, uh, you know, at that top, we're selling 19 times operating earnings of S&P in a low interest rate world, nothing scary, but nothing dirt cheap either, um, uh, you know, clearly, yeah, no, these, these tanking, that, and one other thing about these tanking bond yields. Um you know, we're really in danger now of inverting the the yield curve on a 30 year bond um, as it goes down. and I just read that for the first time ever the German 30 year bond went negative. Um, the only other 30 year bond that we ever had go negative was the Swiss 30 year bond if i'm if I'm my recollection is correct, but now the benchmark. Uh, 30-year bond has gone negative, so long-term interest rates are continuing to sink uh, in Europe, um, uh, which is obviously one of the factors that's putting downward pressure on that. Despite all that, the dollar is fairly high, <laughs> because even though our interest rates are going down, they're not going down as fast as the, uh, the rest of the world. And don't forget, high dollar, I mean, the high dollar is definitely going to be a challenge for the... Um, for the s&p 500 uh, going further if it continues to appreciate so there's a lot of uncertainties nothing has fallen apart nothing that says recession and let me say my core belief and I think that that Trump knows is the only way he's going to get reelected in 2020 or has a chance it's no slam dunk even if if it if there is no recession but and no trade war. But if he has a, a trade war and pushes that envelope into next year, uh it's gonna have very negative consequences and um his election campaign I think uh will be in, 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 in very great peril and I think he knows that and I think the Chinese know that. And one reason they want to extend that is they know that he's up against this election deadline. What can he really do? So there's the chicken game that's being played between the Chinese and the Trump administration.
0: Well, very good, Professor. During thanks time. Thanks for uh, some, some great opening comments here.
1: Thank you very much. I'm gonna, I'll see you
0: next week. We're going to bring in our, our first guest uh, for, for the show, is Brian Westbury, the chief economist at First Trust Advisors. He's one of the great economists and market watchers we follow. He's been a guest on our show before. Brian, welcome back to our program. Jeremy, great to be with you. Um, you know, so the, it's been interesting times in the market, Brian, you've been one of the more uh, optimistic forecasters that I watch, and you've been, you know, generally dead on. Um, You know, it's interesting to check pace and see how you're thinking about the economy, how you're thinking about the markets and, uh, and where we are.
2: Sure. Um, Boy, there's so much to talk about. Uh, First of all, let me just, let's go to the trade issue real quickly. I, I think one of the knee-jerk reactions that people have about trade is that we all learned about the Great Depression and the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act. And therefore, you know, people think, well, hey, if you start a tariff uh, issue, you're going to end up in a global trade war and a Great Depression. But we have to remember that in the 1930, Herbert Hoover, when he signed that, it was a 30% tariff on every good from every country, That was imported into the United States. And therefore, we started a fight with the whole wide world. Uh, There was retaliation everywhere. uh, And that drove down global trade, took out banks, took out import-export companies, and was one of the key causes of the Great Depression. Today, the tariffs are really focused on China. We did put them on Canada and Mexico for a while, uh, steel and aluminum. We pulled them back. But these are focused uh, singularly on China. And, um, and, as a re- and, and the reason, I believe, is because China has, I think, abused its position in the WTO. It's got a GDP equal to the EU or equal to the U.S. or very close to it uh it's it's a grown-up country uh it shouldn't be allowed to have tariffs that are above the rest of the world's anymore and it certainly shouldn't be stealing intellectual property so when when i see a president try to go fix that i'm not sure what other tool uh is can be used i mean we're not going to go to war with them right uh and so using these tariffs uh, uh to push china to to be fair, to grow up, and to join the kind of global marketplace on a level playing field basis, um, my view is, is that that's not the, the kind of thing that's, that's, that's truly bad for the economy in the long run. I'm not saying it doesn't create uncertainty in the short run, but it's moving in the right direction. And I think the longer China waits, the more of their supply chains they lose. Uh, and they may think in a hundred year terms, but companies don't uh, and we're already seeing uh, imports from China fall while imports from Mexico, Vietnam Singapore uh, all rise uh, and in other words, China' is losing uh, this this skirmish if you will and, and I think it's going to settle out and the world's going to end up being a freer trade place as a result so so just, just to get that off the table, yeah. I am not worried about the trade war uh, leading to some Great Depression or even recession in the United States.
0: Hey, Brian, this is Lee Chen. Uh, just to follow up, I mean, um, President Trump's uh, move this time definitely surprised China as well. You can see that from social media. But I have a question. Do you think on this particular move is it really pressure on China or is pressure on President Trump's own negotiating, like the U.S. partners? Like, I think uh, it is uh, the previous, uh, you know, the the tariffs. It definitely is geared toward you know getting China to the table. But this particular one, it somehow feels that um, President Trump is putting pressure on his own negotiators in trying to come up with a deal.
2: Well, I think that that's probably true. Um, but, but the real pressure, I think, is on China. And, and here's the way I, I kind of look at it. And that is, and I'm not saying that President Trump is thinking exactly like this, because I don't know exactly how he's thinking, but that, that the higher tariffs are and on the more goods, uh, they're placed on, Uh, the more likely those supply chains are going to move out of China so that the customers of U.S. companies won't, won't have to pay those. Um, and, and once those supply chains move, they're not coming back. And so China may make, may take the position that, hey, we, we can handle losing all the U.S. supply chains. If that's, if that's the position they take, uh, then we don't really have leverage. But I think, this is more about putting pressure on China, and, uh, and, and I'm going to agree with you, it probably can put some pressure on U.S. negotiators as well, but, but the point that the president's making is, is that we're not backing down. Um, and if we go, I mean, we've known that China steals intellectual property for, for a long time. President Bush didn't do anything. I mean, we, you, you know, we, we talked behind the scenes. We said, please don't do this anymore. Uh, we asked nicely. Uh, we, you know, we we probably uh, did a few things that nobody even knows about uh, to put pressure on them, but it didn't work. And so, uh, my view is is that it's it's time it's it's time for China to become a true member of the global marketplace, which means respecting property rights, which means trading freely, um, and and being named a developed country, not a less developed country, which in the WTO agreements allows you to have higher tariffs. So they need to bring tariffs down to levels equal to the West um, and stop stealing intellectual property. And I don't know what leverage we're supposed to use to have those two things
1: happen.
0: Yeah, it is definitely an interesting negotiating style people are dealing with. This new uh, tw- Twitter yeah. Twitter announcements that we got to all be monitoring. Um, it's interesting, Brian, on the local business side. You know, I, I this is a small anecdote, but was talking to to a gentleman who runs a business with where they're importing a lot of these very low cost goods from China that goes to sort of carnival games and the prizes you get at the carnivals mm-hmm. and the margins are like a few percent and he said if if they did go to 10% they'd be out of business that they can't right. pass that along to their to their supply to their customers that it's it's so fierce. so it's it is interesting how that's going to just readjust a lot of these businesses that you know that are operating on very thin margins.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree that there are, you know, U.S. farmers clearly one uh, subset of, of uh, of people that get hurt. Uh, you know, what's interesting is is that if we would have, you know, the United States would have, and this is not a great analogy, and I know it, but if we would have stayed out of World War II, because we would end up having pain and in that case, loss of life uh, to. to to fix the world um the world wouldn't have ever gotten fixed and so there are sacrifices to to, in order to get the system back into into alignment into to fairness um there there are going to end up being people that pay a price and uh you know we we've already seen soft goods move they can move to vietnam uh they can move to other very low-cost asian uh producers and so i'm You know, yes, if he tries to source from China and he and he takes the 10 percent, his margins are destroyed. But if he can find a country outside of China that can produce at the same even low margins um, without a 10 percent tariff, uh, then he ought to be looking at moving in order to save his business. Because I think Trump means business. uh, And we, you know, for a long time, the U.S. has not been willing to take any pain. We'll 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 protect every industry that we can. We'll we'll allow other countries to get away with things that they shouldn't just so politically there's no pain out there for people to complain about. I I think President Trump is saying, you know what, I'm willing I'm willing to take that pain to fix the system. And, you know, we may or may not agree on that, but I think that that's the message that I keep hearing.
0: You're listening to Behind the Markets on Business Radio, SiriusXM 132. I'm your host Jeremy Schwartz in the studio with Lee Chen Ren. We're talking to Brian Westbury, the chief economist at First Trust Advisors. Um, so, Brian, at the risk of just talking about the China trade issues for the whole show, what, where, as you think about the overall, I mean, th- th- that's certainly the big. F- the Story for the markets today in the last few days, right. but where, where, how else are you? What how else are you handicapping the markets today? And, and as you think about factoring this into your outlook, how what, what's your what's your overall sense?
2: Sure, you know, you know, it was fascinating. Jerome Powell in his press conference the other day uh, made this statement. He goes, "We we don't have businesses coming in uh, to the Fed, talking to the Fed uh, or the regional Fed banks, and saying these interest rates are too high." 2.375%, which is where, it, where the Fed funds was before they cut it a quarter. Nobody's coming in and saying, these rates are too high. We're not doing business because these rates are too high. And I completely agree with that statement. The the thing is, then why cut rates? Um, and and in reality, so what we have to do is ask ourselves, so what's what's going on? Why is it, it, well, first of all, is the economy truly slowing down? Um, or, and, and if it is, why is it? And, and my, I come back to one issue. Uh, we've cut taxes. We've cut regulation. Both of those things are very, very good for, for growth. And we saw that in, the impact in 2018. I think we're still seeing the impact now. But, 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 but the real negative we have is that government spending continues to grow at 7 to 8% a year versus the economy overall, I'm talking nominal GDP, real growth plus inflation, of somewhere in the 4 to 5% range, which means government is getting bigger, uh, uh, is growing faster than the economy as a whole, and that squeezes out the private sector. And so I, I think the number one problem, if, if we want 4% growth, Uh, If that's what the president really wants, then he has to cut government spending, cut the size and scope of government, uh, not just count on the Fed. I mean, all you got to do is look at Europe and Japan. They have negative interest rates. They've done more QE, uh, and they're growing slower than we are. Uh, Cutting interest rates is not the way to get growth to pick up. Uh, And then let me just add two quick points. Q2 GDP... Uh, was 2.1%. Uh, Ger- uh Professor Siegel just uh, said, uh, it's likely to be revised down. I agree a little bit. Maybe 1.9, maybe 1.8. Uh, but, but, but what a lot of people said is that it, it business investment fell in the second quarter and that's, uh, technically, technically true. But we have to remember that business investment in GDP includes inventories and inventories uh, were a huge negative in the second quarter. If we take away the impact of inventories, business investment actually
0: grows
2: uh, in the second quarter. And in the past 10 quarters, it's been faster than it was in the previous four years. In other words, I, I see the impact of tax cuts and deregulation. Business investment has picked up. It just You can't just look at one quarter in isolation. Um, and then, uh, I guess the second thing I would say is, yes, job growth has slowed a little bit this year relative to last year, or, or maybe a lot, depending on how you want to, uh, look at the numbers. But, but we're still having positive job growth. But one of the things that we know is that the labor force has become, ext- we're, we're full employment. We have 1.6 more million job openings than we have people, uh, that are unemployed. And, and so, uh, I think one of the reasons for the slower job growth is that it's hard to find qualified, willing workers. And, and so as a result, when you're at full employment, uh, what happens is employment slows. Um, it's growing fast enough to keep the unemployment rate at rock bottom levels. Um, and I can, I expect it to continue to, but it's just not going to be as fast as we've seen in recent years.
0: So as when you when you go back to Powell saying they're cutting rates, but it's not because people need you know they're not saying the the cost of borrowing is the problem. I mean I mean it's interesting with all of our deficit spending where how low rates are and you heard the negative yields in Japan or Europe uh, now with the bund at the thirty year bund negative you know they should be doing more borrowing in a lot of ways and they're not. Um, I mean what how do you Put all those pieces together in terms of where you think our long-term yields go, or, or you know, is, it, is it this race to zero everywhere? I mean, and, and are you surprised the yields are not higher with the deficit spending?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, boy, this is such a, a boy. We could talk for hours <laughs> on this, but let me let me just summarize my thoughts real briefly. Number one, negative interest rates are a man-made um, development. They the the central banks of the world have are paying negative rates to the banks of europe and japan on their excess reserves in other words they're trying to punish them so so when the central banks do quantitative easing they 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 pump money into the banking system reserves and if the banks don't lend it out um then what the central banks are saying is well i know what we'll do we'll charge them a negative rate will punish them for not lending it out um, and and it's not working because there aren't good loans to be made i mean if you if they wanted to set the interest rate at minus 50% uh, then then it's a crapshoot right you're just rolling a, a, a or flipping a coin now, either it's going to get paid back or it's not because if i put it at the central bank i lose 50% so i might as well make a loan but when it's only minus half a percent and there's no good loans to make, then I, I, I might as well just get 99 and a half back at the end of the year of every hundred that I that I keep in excess reserves. So I think the real problem is, is the real economy, is entrepreneurship, is, is the potential for making good loans. And that's where I come back to the size of government. Government's even bigger in Europe than it is in the United States. Tax rates are higher, regulation is, in my opinion, ridiculous. Um, uh government spending is higher in the United uh, in Europe than it is in the United States uh, at least we've cut taxes and cut regulation even though spending is going up and net net that's why we're growing faster so the, the reason all the quantitative easing didn't get lent out is that we didn't need it all um, it, it was a, it was a crazy amount of money to put in the system um, and now we're trying to force banks to lend it at least in Europe and Japan, and it's not working because there's not good loans to be made. The only way to get these economies growing is to shrink the size of their governments. Their governments have become so big that, that the private sector can't grow.
0: Um, so how do you put all this together in terms of what you're, you're suggesting to investors? What's your general market view on sort of of your, your outlook for, for markets?
2: Sure. So, so the bottom line is the U.S. stock market uh, is using current profits and current interest rates is still undervalued, uh, and and so is Europe. By the way, uh, however, my belief is that and Europe, both Europe and the U.S. have done pretty well this year. Uh, the S&P I think is up 16 percent. The European uh, s and uh, stocks. 50 i think that's what they call it it's up about 13 14% this year so so markets have done well uh, the us has done better um, i don't think we're going to have a recession um, and and we are going through some uncertainty uh, a correction if you will and you and we can always go find a reason for the correction but but the bottom line is is that stocks are undervalued and so my view is that the risk is to the upside on stocks, not to the downside. I, I get it. There are people out there looking at all the the tweets from Trump and the and the trade war and all you know these fears. but I think they're overblown very much like they have been for the last 10 years. This market is uh, has been on a roar uh, for for a decade, and I don't see it uh, stopping anytime soon. I don't see a recession coming. And that's what you need to have a bear market. So I'm still very positive uh, on the outlook for U.S. equities.
0: Yeah, I mean the, that the the 10 year drop from 280 to 180 has got to be a big boost in your valuation model. Um, now, of course, you got to figure out where does it sustain out at, and uh, where is earnings going to grow. Um, but it's it's. How, do you have a call for 12 months ahead as as we've talked before?
2: Yeah, no no doubt about no doubt about that. Uh, that the, the drop in the 10 year, it, it, in fact, if I told you what the our model is saying with a 1.8% 10 year uh, for valuation, you'd think I'd, I'm crazy. And I'm, I'm not predicting that. But we have uh, 32.50 on the S&P for the end of this year. And I, I would argue that another 10%, uh, put to this, puts us at uh, 35.75 in, in 2020. Uh, I, I think those are uh, easily doable. Uh, today, in order to make the market fair value, like uh, make the current uh, level of the S&P equal to our model, we would need a 3.04% 10-year, uh, and we're a long way from that uh, that 10-year yield. So uh, right now, I, I think the risks to our forecast are pretty low.
0: So, so do you have an infinity level of German stocks with the negative yields? It just goes up to infinity <laughs> divided by a negative number?
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I, I truly believe that uh, this is a man-made number, um, and and therefore you can't use it. It's a it's a creation of of uh, I, I know central bankers are doing it. They're not supposed to be politicians, but they are. It's a it's it's a creation of politics. It's a it's a, it's it, quanti- quantitative easing was an attempt by the government to manage the economy. And in my opinion, and this is a topic for another day, it never worked. Uh, Because if it had worked, we wouldn't need negative interest rates. We wouldn't need to punish banks to force them to lend. Uh, And I think the fact that Europe and and, uh, Japan have negative interest rates is proof that QE didn't work. And then I also believe that the fact that they're not growing is proof that negative interest rates don't work. Um, and, uh, and, and we have much higher rates in the U S than they do in Europe. And we're growing a lot faster. Uh, somebody needs to, uh, I I have my answer for why I think we have a smaller government sector, a less burdensome government sector. But, uh, I think that's a question for, uh, uh, for monetary theorists. How come they have a lot easier monetary policies than we do. How come, uh, we're growing faster than Europe and Japan?
0: Brian, it's uh, always a pleasure. And, and then when they go down to lower rates at the next, uh, the next ECB meeting, which is a, what they seem to be implying, we'll have to come, come bring you back to, to talk about it. Thanks, thanks.
2: Absolutely. Love to, Jeremy.
0: Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com.